Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I don't know about you, but working out makes me feel empowered. The idea of building a stronger body and mind is what motivates me. And feeling proud of yourself, it's just one of the many benefits of following a regular fitness routine. What's more, wearing active wear that performs well and looks great, it builds my confidence further. Sweaty Betty have definitely mastered this combination with their products. They're engineered to stand the test of time. I still have my Sweaty Betty leggings from years and years ago. If you haven't tried them yet, honestly give them a go, especially as they're offering all of us 20% off their entire range. Just head over to sweatybetty.com forward slash podcasts and add in the code food for thought at the checkout. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Menopause is often left unspoken about, leaving so many women feeling isolated and with little support, which is not okay when it's something completely natural that happens in every single woman's life. Most women feel they just need to accept it, but acceptance is difficult when dealing with what often seems like such a mystery. This week's Food for Thought sees Dr. Philippa Kay share exactly what the menopause is, when to expect it, and how it affects all women. So hello, Philippa. Hi. Hi. Um, I've just been hearing about your incredible busy life, mum of three, <laughs> running around on the school run in the morning. <laughs> school run, then then work. GP's still busy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you literally are doing it all. And I think... Um, if we start this episode today by bringing up the question that every woman's different, aren't they? So surely each woman will go through the menopause with a completely different experience. Absolutely. So I think we need to start at the beginning is that we were all taught about puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was our mums and maybe it was the school, but we would talk about puberty and we were taught about the birds and the bees and where babies come from and nobody mentioned a word about the menopause. And maybe your mum hung her head out of the window and had fights with your dad about turning down the heating, but nobody actually mentioned it. No. And what we have is generations upon generations of women 
women that don't know what the menopause is. No. And for every woman, it will be a different experience, but 80% of women will have some kind of symptom that affects their life in some way. So we need to really be informed about it so that you know whether or not your symptom is potentially related to the menopause and therefore when to go and get help. And also importantly, and I know that lots of your listeners are younger people, it's really important to talk about the premature menopause as well. Completely. So let's start then by actually explaining what the menopause is for people that don't know, because there will be lots of us out there that don't actually yeah. have that information. So the menopause needs a new name. I think it should take men out of it. Love. <laughs> I, not I love it. <laughs> so the menopause literally means the last period. And the medical word for your first period was menarche. Um, and so... But menarche was the first period, but puberty took you a number of years. So whilst the menopause is the last period, we can't tell that you've been through it until you haven't had a period for a whole year. But you can have symptoms for years before and years afterwards. So we need to not just think about the periods, but about the woman in general. And why it happens is essentially you run out of eggs. So you are born as a woman with all the eggs that you will ever, ever have in a very immature state. You lose thousands upon thousands before you get to 11 or 12 when you start your periods. And although one egg is produced every month when you ovulate, about a thousand are reabsorbed into the body. That gives you about 40 years worth of monthly periods before you run out of eggs. When you run out of eggs, the hormones in your brain are going to start firing off going, come on, come on, come on, ovaries, produce me an egg. So the levels of the hormones in your brain go up, called FSH and LH, but the levels of the menstrual cycle hormones estrogen and progesterone are going to go down and that is what leads to the symptoms related to the menopause and women do have testosterone as well much less than men and their production of testosterone also goes down and it's that combination of hormone deficiency that leads to the symptoms now we have receptors for those hormones all over our bodies from Mm. our brain to our skin to our gut everywhere and just like we are kind to teenagers and we let them be grumpy and want to sleep and you know and they have all (laughs) kinds of symptoms we need to be kind to ourselves when we're in the perimenopause which are the years sort of before that last period and afterwards because symptoms can affect us anywhere. I mean, I th- I feel like just taking a deep breath and going, <laughs> wow, women go through so much. And I feel like we're often told to just brush it under the carpet yeah. and crack on. So I think there's a real stigma about the menopause. You know, in 2018, the deputy governor of the Bank of England decided to describe the economy as menopausal to mean stagnant and past its best, which is really quite offensive. When women are living a third of their lives in a postmenopausal state. So the average age of the menopause in the UK is 51 and the average age... Uh, the average life expectancy is 80. So we've got a third of our lives in this state and it isn't the end and it shouldn't be the end of our libido and our, you know, and our desire to have sex and work and relationships and it shouldn't be. What we actually need to t- uh, consider it as a new start and this is a new phase of our lives and just the fact that um, we live in this sort of very, unfortunately still, paternalistic and often misogynistic society that says that as soon as a woman is past her fertility, she is past her usefulness. And that just isn't true. Oh, it doesn't sit right with me at all. And it's something I'm hoping all of our listeners are suddenly a little bit outraged to hear. They should be. Yeah, it's not okay. No, and that's why it's so important that actually we talk to each other about what is going on. You know, women a hundred years ago um, ran the home. And now there are more women in the workplace than ever before. So now actually women are supposed to do it all. We're supposed to run the home and go to work. Um, And actually, 
women are leaving their jobs because of menopausal symptoms. And if we are expecting women to be part of the economy, then we need to look after them during this phase in their lives. Women's social lives, women's relationships are all affected by this. And that's why it's so important, whether or not you're a man or a woman, yes. whether or not you're 20 or 50, your mum, your sisters, your friends, your partners are all going to go through this. It is going to affect everybody. Yeah, this is the most important thing and I actually can't wait at the end of this episode already to play it back to my husband because I just think that he <laughs> it's needs, a coming. I might be pregnant now, you say, but it's a coming. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we've touched on and you've mentioned at the beginning lots of different hormones and different things that people won't quite understand. So if we could go into the fact of it's hormonal changes, but what hormones are involved, what's the key process here? Okay, so... Biology GCSE, let's take let's, it back. Let's okay, do it. it was always it, it's taught in every every sort of GCSE syllabus. <laughs> Two hormones in the brain, FSH and LH. They stimulate your ovary to produce an egg that causes a rise in estrogen. Mm-hmm. When the egg pops out, you're left with like a little shell of the egg, and that shell produces progesterone. That makes the lining of the womb thick so that you can the fertilized egg can implant in. So we have high levels of estrogen and we have high levels of progesterone. If I don't have any eggs to produce, I do not have high levels of those things. Estrogen is the hormone that makes you feel good. That's why when you're pregnant, for example, your skin is great, your hair is great. You know, and without those, um, without that hormone, women will notice everything from the physical to the psychological. So if we take the aesthetic bit first, so lots of women will report what's called actually um, male pattern hair loss, so hair loss around the temples, but also hair growth where we don't want it, Mm. on the chin, on the face, around the nipples. Um, and your skin, estrogen affects the structure of your skin and your skin essentially can become more wrinkly and saggy. Um, and the same is true of your breasts, that they tend to they lose the sort of firmness that is related to estrogen. Look at you, look, you should see her face. She's like <laughs> appalled here. <laughs> so, and then we, we move away from the aesthetic onto what's really important, which is the physical and the psychological. Yes, yes. So the most common symptom is hot flushes. Um, and those can be actually quite devastating. If you're standing up doing a presentation at work and suddenly you are dripping with sweat, red in the face, that's really intimidating for you and, and you know, can be really off-putting. So hot flushes, sweats, which can be in the day or in the night, and then things that people don't think about, joint pains, headaches, dry skin, palpitations, not being able to sleep, loss of libido. And then if we move to the psychological, I can put insomnia and loss of libido, which is your sex drive in both categories there. Um, anxiety, low mood, depression... So really, it can have this huge impact. And the other really important psychological symptom is what they call the menopausal brain fog, which is the distinct sort of problems with memory and concentration that women just describe that they are walking around like they are walking through treacle. And they just can't quite concentrate as they did before. And I've had patients come to me worried that they've got dementia. That's how bad that it is. And those are all the short-term symptoms. Don't worry, we'll get to how we fix them in a minute. (laughs) But if we think about the menopause as a long-term estrogen deficiency state, there can be long-term symptoms. So you might get over your flushes, but a few years later, you might have really bad vaginal dryness. So sex is really painful for or you're getting recurrent urinary tract infections and even later on in life that long-term estrogen deficiency leads to osteoporosis and so we need to think of it not just as the few years around the menopause but then onwards the lack of testosterone 
gives you sort of a lack of oomph. Mm. They get up and go. So it's not that we need it for aggression or, you know, violence, but it just gives you your energy and it affects your metabolic rate and it gives you your libido. And sometimes giving women a little bit of testosterone back is that they go, oh, I remember what it was like to be me again. It's just need a little bit of oomph back. It's like having to adapt as a woman throughout your life to being a different person. I like yeah. the way you use that to describe how people must be feeling. And, of course, if no one else is aware of menopausal symptoms or the psychological side effects, the biological side of all the things you've just listed, it makes life very difficult. So if you had suddenly developed crushing anxiety that meant that you couldn't drive your car and palpitations... Why would you go to your doctor and think that it's menopausal? Now, it's your doctor's job to think that it's menopausal. Um, but lots of women actually are, there's still a mental health stigma around. And so they're worried about going to the doctor and being labelled as having anxiety. And maybe that's why they're having palpitation. But actually, it's related to the menopause. And so if you don't know that your symptom could be related, why would you go and ask for help? Yeah. And we must ask for help if we're struggling. Well, this is the thing. And I think women are often perceived still, unfortunately, like you said, in society as being a weaker sex to a degree which is not okay but we deal with so much that it's almost that we need to educate the males just as much as the females <laughs> to know that this happens. So what's interesting <laughs> about the difference between men and women when it comes to medicine is that women are, are supposed to be the better sex at coming to the doctors. So we went because we had bad painful periods and then we went because we wanted contraception and sexual health and then we went because we were trying to get pregnant and then we were pregnant and then we went because we were the ones who were the default parents rightly or wrongly but we're the default parents still the mothers and we take our kids when they've got rashes and temperatures and everything else so really we're in and out of there quite a lot so we should be good at going at this point but we're not because suddenly this is something we're supposed to suck up and maybe we're a little bit past our best and not worth it so maybe we shouldn't look after ourselves and that is just such a a really sad misconception. Yeah, we need to learn about this at any age. What There's just so, so much. So it's changing. So from last year, the government passed a policy that um, it's going into the PHSC curriculum, Great. public personal health, social educational bit yeah. at school, so that so that everybody will learn about it. But that still means that that's 11-year-old girls learning about it. So everybody from 12 to onwards still needs to get informed. It's, at least it's a small step in the yeah. right direction, which which we must embrace, but I agree there's still a lot more to do there. I think also just the menopause is known to so many people. Like you said, the word is quite fearful. And I've got some friends that have been going through perimenopause, but very young. So it isn't just the standard age range that you yeah. stated. So if the average age for the menopause in the UK is 51, women will often, who are going through the the so-called normal menopause at, the, at the, the expected age will have symptoms from their 40s onwards. Mm. But the premature menopause is really important. Um, and that is defined as going through the menopause before the age of 40. Now, this is a statistic. I love an easy statistic to remember. Great. But Me it too. is. <laughs> one in a 100 under the age of 40, one in a 1,000 under the age of 30, one in 10,000 under the age of 20. Wow. So it can affect you actually at any age. And the reason that it happens is, is very complex 
and, and there's lots of reasons. It can be that we did it to you, doctors did it to you, you had, for example, an ovarian cancer or an ovarian cyst or something, and we had to take away the ovaries. As mm. soon as we take away the ovaries surgically, that's it, you're in the menopause. I can turn off your ovaries medically, and sometimes we do that um, for various conditions, and again, that would put you into a menopausal state. It is associated with what's called autoimmune conditions, which are conditions where the body attacks itself. So the body's immune system has got a little bit confused, and it attacks something which we don't want it to attack. So for example, the thyroid, mm. or type 1 diabetes, where it attacks the pancreas. And all autoimmune conditions are associated with each other, and it can be associ associated with a premature menopause. Smoking, smokers have about a two, yeah. they, get, they tend to go through the menopause about two years earlier than the average. So not premature, premature, but stopping smoking could make a difference. Now the thing about the premature menopause is that it's diff we treat it very differently. Because, um, first of all, if you are over the age of 45, your doctor doesn't need to do blood tests to okay. diagnose the menopause. Whether or not you have periods. So right. you can have periods regularly irregularly heavy light often they get heavier some people's periods go quietly other people's periods rage against the dying of the light <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so whether or not you have periods like we can give you treatment um, and the blood tests aren't very useful at that point but before the age of 45 if your periods stop for more than six months you need to go to the doctor. And we all do blood tests to check for other causes, for example, high levels of a hormone called prolactin, mm. high levels or very low levels of thyroid hormone, lots of other reasons. And we all test the levels of that FSH and LH in your brain on two occasions, six weeks apart. If they're consistently high, then we say that you've gone through the perimenopause. Now, that leaves you without estrogen, progesterone, testosterone for many more years mm. than the average woman. Mm. And that really increases your risk of osteoporosis, heart disease, and dementia. Mm. So we will recommend that you go on HRT. And there is no increased risk in somebody that goes through a premature menopause having HRT until the age of 50. We are simply replacing the hormones that would ordinarily be there. Because I think hormone replacement therapy, so HRT, is something that, again, has a lot of taboos surrounding it. I think women are, quite frankly, terrified sometimes. They hear it, they think it's artificial. You know, there's lots of fear-mongering. Google's probably, it must drive you insane <laughs> as a doctor, <laughs> probably your worst nightmare when it comes to issues like this. But if you are going through it early, like Philip has just said, osteoporosis, bone health, we know circulatory estrogen is really beneficial. It's so important that you seek help. And if you could touch on this, Philippa, what, what is HRT for people that don't know? So just before we go there, just yeah. to say that even if you've gone through the premature menopause, about one in 10, suddenly your ovary will pop out an egg. Ah. So you still need to use contraception Ooh. unless you want to run the risk of pregnancy. So actually, sometimes we give women who've gone the premature menopause the pill, which you can use until 50, and it would act as both HRT and contraception. So don't think I haven't got periods, I can't get pregnant. You potentially can. Yes, that's happened to a friend, actually. And there we go. Mm. <laughs> and if you um, go through the menopause after the age of, let's say, 45, before the age of 50, you need to use contraception for two years after your last period after the age of 50 for one year after your last period and we can all give up by 55 not give up oh. sex give up contraception <laughs> that's <laughs> such a big misconception because i would have assumed as well that you that's it you know menopause yeah. oh i won't get pregnant no now. there's still a little risk there so hrt hormone replacement yes. therapy big bad baddie or you know panacea for all yeah and i think that hrt has been in the media a lot in the past 30 years definitely and 
I think that sometimes there's a misconception that doctors are not giving correct information or not giving all the information or are trying to mislead patients. Doctors work on the research that is out now. And if the research tells me something now, and then in 10 years' time the research changes or the evidence base changes, then what we say will change and the guidelines will change. And so what happened was that when HRT was invented in the 60s and 70s, it was invented, everybody loved it, everybody went on it, and then some research came out in the 2000s that raised some suspicions about it and doctors changed their guidelines and took everybody off again. And now we know really, really good evidence about the risks and the benefits, and really we should be putting many more women back on it. Mm. So, what it is, and you might might have heard of the terms body identical HRT. So yes. right now, I can give you a hormone that has exactly the same chemical structure as the estrogen and progesterone that would already be in your body, so exactly the same. And lots of the slightly more worrying research is in older kinds of progestogens and progestogens that we don't use so much mm. anymore. Let's talk about the benefits first. Okay? Great, let's start yeah. with the good bit. Okay, okay? Let's so do it. first of all, we get rid of your symptoms and you get your life back um, and you feel like yourself. And that really shouldn't be underestimated um, because if the menopause can have a really negative impact, fixing it um, can really have a positive impact on everything from your physical symptoms to your relationships to your sex life, all of that stuff. It then decreases your risk of um, osteoporosis of heart disease, of dementia. Now, these are scary things, heart disease and dementia, and we shouldn't underestimate that that giving back some estrogen can really make a difference with that. Lots of women are concerned about the risks, so let's be honest about the risks, okay? So the bigger one that people are concerned about is breast cancer. Mm. If you have estrogen-only HRT, which you would only have if you don't have a womb, Okay, if you have a womb, I have to give you progesterone to stop the lining of the womb building up too, too much, which increases your risk of womb cancer. So if you have your, if you don't have a womb, you can have estrogen only HRT, no change to your risk of, uh, no increased risk of breast cancer with estrogen only. So that's easy. Mm. If you're having both, we need to look at what was your risk anyway? So between the age of 50 to 59, 23 women out of 1,000 will develop breast cancer, okay? If I give estrogen and progesterone, I'm going to have four more cases, so from 23 to 27. That's an increase of 0.4 of a percent, so this is a tiny increase. What's important to say about the breast cancer that they have is that it's something called hormone receptor positive, and that means it's far easier to treat. And the mortality, so the death rates of women on HRT are lower than those on, who are not. If you compare that increase of four cases with something that you might already be doing, so if you smoke, if you drink more than the recommended daily units of alcohol, you're going to increase your risk by three and five cases per thousand respectively. If you have obesity, you increase your risk by a further 24 cases, mm. so you double it. Yeah. So there may be things that you're doing already that you don't think about or no. you don't worry about because they're just part of your lifestyle, lifestyle or whatever. Exactly. And actually, they increase your risk far more than a smidge of HRT does. Mm. Um, when it comes to other risks, for example, there used to be a concern about stroke risk. If we give the estrogen through the skin as opposed to orally, so either by a gel or a patch, there is no increased risk. And so actually the risks are much smaller than we, th than, than we have thought in the past. The sort of headline is this, below the age of 50, there is no increased risk of having HRT and actually not having it is more risky for you. Mm. Starting HRT between 50 and 60, the benefits tend to outweigh the risks. 
Starting it, and, be, and I'm being really clear to say starting it, not continuing it. Starting it between 60 and 70, the benefits and the risks are about the same. And starting it at about 70, the risks tend to outweigh the benefits. But if you start it within 10 years of your menopause, then actually there's no stopping point. You can keep going as long as your benefit continues to outweigh your risk. If you suddenly develop breast cancer, then okay, we're going to take you off it. But for most people, as long as they're meeting with their doctor once a year and having a conversation and having their blood pressure checked and looking after themselves, then for many people that benefit outweighs the risk. Now, some women can't take it mm. for various reasons and there are other things that we can do. Now, some of our medications that we use are things like antidepressants and anti-seizure mm-hmm. medication and that doesn't mean that I think that you're depressed or epileptic. What it means is that we use those medications for lots of different types of things. And finally, and I know I'm talking a lot no, about no, HRT. there's a lot of information um, is topical estrogen so topical means through the skin and with yes. regard to hrt we're talking about it through the vagina right. so if you happen to have got through the menopause okay or you don't want to have sort of systemic whole body hrt but vaginal dryness is causing itching burning soreness you feel like you're on fire when you sit down you can't have sex you're having recurrent urinary tract infections then having a little bit of vaginal estrogen that only works locally Mm. so doesn't really get into the body can be absolutely life-changing and is not considered to have any of the risks associated with systemic hrt so for many women that's the answer there are so many options. I mean, that was such a comprehensive overview, which was fabulous. And I think it will leave most of our listeners just thinking, well, I should just start HRT. I mean, when does this discussion happen with your doctor or do you have to initiate it with them? So your doctor won't call you exactly. for a for mm. a discussion and even as part of the sort of general health check that you can have after the age of 40 it won't come up that's a blood pressure check and, and yeah. a finger prick for cholesterol and, and diabetes and um, so the answer is when you have symptoms mm. and whether that's 30 40 60 90 doesn't matter you need to go and talk to your doctor about it and what I would recommend is often actually people say oh we keep seeing different doctors or how do I know which one is the right doctor in my practice ask your receptionist if anyone's got a special interest ask your receptionist if anyone's got any extra qualifications you don't ask you don't get yeah so lots of us will work in group practices where for example I do women kids and sexual health if you want a joint injection I'm not your girl you know Mm. obviously I know about joints I'm a GP but I'm not the person that does that whilst the guy next door to me does so if you ask your receptionist let's see if there is somebody um who who has expertise and if not grab the book i'm going to push the book <laughs> yeah read it take it to your doctor i never have an issue when someone knows more about a subject yeah. than i do that's an opportunity for me to learn yeah. and then go and find out about it and so that i can help my patient that's why i think your book's quite revolutionary that and word i just think that we need more information out there it's something that i i've absorbed already so much talking to you we're not even halfway through the episode <laughs> and i really really feel if you don't ask you don't get and you cannot expect your doctor to know absolutely everything nobody knows everything and I think that GPs um, are we are a jack of all trades and we are sort of the few remaining generalists left in medicine um, but there are obviously bits that some some of us will like better than exactly. others um, but we won't necessarily 
approach you about something unless we think it's potentially mm. an issue. So, for example, if a woman comes into me with a menopausal symptom, I always ask them about sex mm. because I think they're never going to bring it up. So I'm just going to put it out <laughs> yeah, there. And, and then <laughs> and then we're going to broach the yeah. subject. But actually, not first of all, not everybody would do that and that's not to disparage other GPs, but we, we aren't embarrassed. No. I have seen more genitals than I can possibly <laughs> remember. And I don't mean that in a, in a sort of horrible no, way. You probably see tons every a, day. In, you know, this is this is part of my job, um, and I talk about vaginas and vulvas and everything else all day, every yeah. day. It's it would there's nothing that you can say that is going to embarrass me, and I'm sure and, that's so reassuring <laughs> for everyone. And hopefully, yes. Yeah, so hopefully, it's that that will make you confident to be able to come and say, actually, sex really hurts. What can I do? And there is so much we can do. And even if you don't want estrogen, are you using the right lubricant? Because things that are available on the mm. high street. They're not really very good. That's so interesting. I was going to ask you because there's a lot of pseudoscience rubbish on Netflix and non-science Google. nonsense. Well, <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. I love that exactly. And I think lifestyle is often looked at being a magical answer. Just change your lifestyle. Can can it help with so, this? lifestyle things uh, that are currently on the internet that mm. will not help vaginal steaming don't v- burn <laughs> your vulva um, don't kill off all the microbiome in your vagina leave it alone um, please don't shove a jade egg up there please don't put garlic yogurt um, you went straight to the one I was there. thinking of in my head the documentary I was <laughs> just, like... just leave it alone it's a self-cleaning tube leave it be <laughs> um, so that's the first thing oh, um, but when it comes to sex after the menopause or around the time of the menopause most of the lubricants that you get in high street pharmacies are not going to help you um, and you need to have something that is paraben free and alcohol free and additive free um, and as an NHS doctor I can only recommend brands when there is definite evidence that they are better than other brands mm. um, and in this situation I would recommend either something called Silk S-Y-L-K or Yes Okay, so and those yes. are the two brands of lubricants that I would recommend if you get an oil based lubricant you cannot use a condom they eat through condoms. But <laughs> for many women, what is the game changer is something called the double glide effect, which is you get a water-based lube and an oil-based lube. One goes in you, one goes on him. And because water and oil don't mix, they glide over one another. Um, add, we can add into that vaginal moisturizers. Um, and from a lifestyle point of view, stop washing with soap, stop washing with feminine hygiene products, stop using bubble bath, no talcum powder, no feminine hygiene spray, none of that stuff. Your vagina is self cleaning the vulva can be cleaned with water. I'm like, preach, it's good though. <laughs> this is what we need. Um, And apart from that, you're going to actually cause more problems. And after the menopause, when your skin is so much more sensitive and dry, you're really going to cause cause problems. From a lifestyle point of view, there are some things that will help, especially help flushes. Mm. So alcohol... And that unfortunately means cutting down, not going Yeah, up. I knew this was coming. I have this so, conversation with my clients all the time. Cutting down on alcohol, cutting down on caffeine. Um, so caffeine often will cause anyway palpitations, but it will cause flushes and palpitations. Um, and then simple things. Layer up. Don't put on one big jumper. Layer up so that you can strip off. Make sure that you have a fan. Have a facial cooling spray. Um, have those gel pads for the pillow that when you put your head on them, um, they cool down. And then they've now got bigger ones because they used to only have them for pets. And I used to have to say to my patients, so it's sort of go and get one of those dog ones and lie on it. (laughs) But so there are things that can help from that point of view. Um, Not smoking. 
definitely makes a big difference, not just to when you're going to have the menopause, but to your menopausal symptoms, to your risks, as, as we said, of mm. heart disease and stroke later on. So definitely not smoking. Exercise. Now, people worry, is exercise going to bring on a flush? So for some people, if they did something like HIIT training, it might. But exercise in the long run is going to decrease the number of mm. hot flushes that you have. So exercise is important. And you're getting bone, you know, weight-bearing exercise. Yeah. We need Every that. Every time you bang your foot on yes. the floor, you are strengthening those bones. Um, and a healthy diet can make a difference. Mm. Now, people talk a lot about phytoestrogens. Yes. So phytoestrogens are... A plant-based oestrogen that is found in foods like soy, mushrooms, cucumber. The truth is you'd have to eat so many buckets of cucumbers <laughs> for it to probably make a difference. It's and always the way. It's yeah, always the yeah. way. And there isn't really the evidence at the moment no. that it's going to make a huge amount of difference. If you enjoy eating buckets of cucumbers, away you go. <laughs> um, but I can't guarantee that it's no. going to make a difference. Now, what's very fashionable is what's called a bioidentical hormone. So, yes, and I'm really glad you brought this up because I have a lot of people coming in the clinic saying, I don't want to do X, Y, Z, conventional, I want to do this. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, so bioidentical hormone is touted as the more natural version. Now, I am not anti anything complementary that helps you mm -hmm. as long as you can afford it and you're not being taken mm -hmm. advantage of and as long as you tell us because complementary doesn't mean that it doesn't work exactly. and if it doesn't if it works it's doing something to your body which means it can interact with something I'm giving you or something else that you're on St John's wort being the commonest example that does that. So um, bioidentical hormone is touted as the more natural uh, HRT, mm. bearing in mind that, as I said, body identical is exactly the same chemical structure as the estrogen and progesterone that was naturally in your body before. They're what we call compounded and they're often in creams. So the estrogen and the progesterone will be together in a cream and there is not the safety data for them, nor the efficacy data for them. So I don't know if it works. And I don't know if it's safe. What I do know is that I have a safer option. Great. <laughs> and so I think that it's it's something that is considered to be very fashionable and more natural. But if it works, why wouldn't it have the same risks? This is the thing. And I'm seeing a lot of people charging a lot of, a lot money, of money in private clinics. I've had clients where I've really questioned... Who did you see? Why yeah. did we go there? And it, but of course, when you're desperate and you've read a lot about it on the internet, 
And I think the other thing that people think about is that sometimes when they go and have a bioidentical, so they get a bit of testosterone as well. Mm. Now, testosterone, you can still get, and you can get it from the NHS. You won't get testosterone on its own. We will always, you'd always have to be on an estrogen and progesterone type HRT before you get testosterone. Yeah. And testosterone, as I said, it gives you back your oomph. And the dosage is literally a smidge. Mm. So a little tiny bit of the gel and you rub it on generally your thighs or your tummy. Um, and as long as you move the place where you rub it on around, then you tend not to get side effects. So women are worried, oh, if you give me testosterone, I'm going to grow a beard and I'm going to have a really deep voice. Yeah. I'm talking about a smidge, a mm. tiny amount. Um, and it really tends not to cause any problems yeah. at all. So I am, as I said, I'm not anti-complementary medicine, but bioidentical medicine does not have the data that says it's safe or it works. Yeah. And that's my concern around it. I think that was perfectly explained. And we have exactly the same problem in the nutrition world where, you know, there's not studies backing everything. Yeah. Sometimes for one individual it might be... And that's really true of, I think, all the herbal remedies that are out there for the menopause. And there are lots of them. Mm. St. John's wort, evening primrose oil, sage, red clover, black cohosh, you know, loads and loads and loads and loads. And maybe it will work for you. Um, And maybe it won't. Don't try them all at once because you're spending a fortune. I hear black cohosh used a lot as well. The evidence isn't there. No. But that doesn't mean that your friend, N equals one, Mm -hmm. (laughs) doesn't mean that your friend doesn't work for. If it works for them, brilliant, as long as it doesn't interact with with anything else. But as I said, do tell your doctor. Now, what does work that people don't think about is something called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, And that has evidence. So it's talking therapy, talking about how to help you deal with your thoughts and how to help you deal with your symptoms so we use it a lot for lots of things for example chronic pain i may not be able to take away your pain Mm -hmm. but i can make you manage it better certain eating disorder treatments it's a common type of therapy so cbt is part of the nice guidance the national institute of clinical excellence guidance for the menopause and it works particularly well for hot flushes and insomnia in fact it's the gold standard of treatment for insomnia in general so you don't have to go down the HRT route. There are other things that you can do. It's just the important thing is is that you ask for help when you need it. And especially when it comes to the psychological symptoms. If, you, if you've been depressed or anxious a lot or intermittently throughout your life and it's around the menopause as well, then okay, maybe you need an antidepressant. But if your symptom is new and we are around the time of the perimenopause, it is related to the menopause. Mm. And actually HRT is the first line treatment. So interesting. And even just knowing and acknowledging and understanding where that feeling is coming from can be be so beneficial. And there's just one more thing which I should have mentioned before, which is about your periods. So as I said, you can have treatment whether or not you have periods. And women expect their periods to just get lighter and lighter and lighter and further and further apart. And for some women, actually, around the perimenopause, it's quite common that their periods get closer and closer together. Um, which they find really quite surprising and appalling. <laughs> and How many can you have in can, one month? Yeah. <laughs> and their periods get longer and longer. Yeah. And suddenly you're bleeding for 10, 11 days out of 21 as opposed to five days out of 28. And that has a really big impact. Mm. We can help you. So, for example, if we put in a Mirena coil, that's the lowest dose of progesterone hormone that I can possibly give you. It acts locally by one year, 90% of women will have no bleeding at all. Not only have I solved your bleeding problem, I've sorted your contraception. And if you need HRT, you've already got the bit of progesterone in there to protect your womb. So no matter what your symptom is, 
you must come and, and tell us so that we can help. A hundred percent. If you don't speak, you're not going to know. Would you say that the reason most cases of menopause are unspoken about or reported is down to females or is it perhaps a lack of male understanding equally? How can men support think, this issue? I think two questions there. It's a whole societal um, problem. If you work on a factory floor and you are allowed a toilet break every two hours, but you're flooding through your pads every 10 minutes. Oh, gosh. Mm. Can you go to your HR and speak to that? Now, you should be able to. Mm. And we should have menopause guidance in the workplace. And we should do, but we don't. We don't. Um, and, you know, and, and that causes... So, so not only is that impact physically on you, but suddenly you're worried about losing your job. Add into that that menopausal brain fog, and suddenly you might not be feeling that you're performing as well as everybody else, but maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe you need a fan on your desk. Maybe you need to be nearer the toilet. Maybe you need to change your working hours to be 10 till 6 instead of 9 till 5 so that you're not smushed on the tube with all the other people being really hot. Um, you know, And actually we need to look at the workplace and see how can we help women through because we've got far, we've got loads more years um, of effective life and you don't want to lose us, you don't want the brain drain. Yeah. So we need to look at it from sort of a workplace point of view. And I think that if your boss is a man that can't say the word period without, you know, <laughs> wanting to fall over, yeah, <laughs> um, then that can be difficult. And I think that we must raise awareness in the workplace around it. Um, I think that women are taught to, unfortunately, be ashamed of their genitals and that periods are dirty and that sex is dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many women can't even name their genitals? And I did some work with the Eva Peel, which is the gynecological cancer charity, and that parents aren't naming their children's gen- they use a they use a euphemism which is either sort of, you know, my fairy, my fifi, my nuni, my unicorn, sort of very babyish names. Mm. Or they don't even refer to it at all. It's something so shameful that it can't be referred to. And if you can't refer to it, why would you look after it? And if you don't look after it, how could you possibly get pleasure from it? Mm. And, you know, and if you don't, if, if we are taught that this is shameful and something to hide, and I have seen so many patients, girls who think that it's normal to not be able to get off the toilet for the first two days of their period. They think that's normal because no one's told them that oh, actually you can heart. get help with that. You know, and if we are supposed to put up with all of those things, then why shouldn't we put up with the menopause as well? But we actually don't have to put up with any of those things. That's the whole point and why I include the menopause in there. And I know I sound like I'm off on a feminist rant about it, but actually this isn't a feminist issue. This is just a people issue. Mm. And if there was a male equivalent, I'm pretty sure (laughs) there would be an answer to it. No, I completely agree. And you've hit the nail on the head that this is every single woman is going to experience this. Yeah. It's not some magical, mystical thing. And actually, we're quite unique in the animal world. So this is a part of the book that, that I actually do the most research for. So I'm a doctor. So the, the medicine bit, you know, is something that, that, that comes more naturally than the sort of the anthropology bit. Mm. So, you know, we think about sort of other mammals. Oh, I love this. It's bit. just us. Us mm. and the killer whales, you know, and I'm not sure that I'm <laughs> yeah. so close to the killer whale. So even in other matriarchal societies like elephants, 
the women tend, the women, the females, mm. tend to die within a few years of having the menopause. And our closest cousins, you know, the chimpanzees, the gorillas, the primates, um, they tend to die. And my favourite story, which actually isn't in the book, is if there's some sort of locust somewhere in Asia that goes through the menopause. And when the colony is under attack, it sends all the menopausal women to the front. No. And it does that because it sort of doesn't matter if they die because they can't they can't produce babies anymore. And whilst whilst it that really represents that whole sort of pass through usefulness so you can just go off and die. Yeah. What I really like about it is menopausal women are saving females, are saving these locusts. Strong. And I think that's how we need to think about the menopause. You have a oh, new dear. start here and a new opportunity. And maybe yes. for lots of women, you're freed from the confines of having to care for young children. Mm-hmm. And you're freed from the confines of having a period every month and whatever that means for you sexually and physically and maybe this is a new start and that's how we should be viewing it not as this thing to dread no oh gosh okay I'm gonna have to get questions from our listeners now as well because I could just keep asking you (laughs) forever and always so Alison has said is there anything I can do to delay it I mean we've discussed quite a lot of these different things but is there a I think she wants a magic pill, to be honest. There isn't a magic pill, unfortunately. <laughs> Stop smoking. Make yeah. sure that you have um, a good diet, plenty of vitamin um, D, plenty of calcium. There is a little bit of evidence. Um, there was a thing in, in the media recently about having regular sex um, could help. And, and sort of, if you think about that biologically, more sex equals more chance to reproduce. Therefore, mm. potentially that would do that. Um, and what what has been shown to make a difference, um, and this is a huge lifestyle choice, mm. is being pregnant and breastfeeding. Because if mm. the menopause is when you run out of eggs, when you are pregnant for those nine months, you've only used one egg instead of nine. And bearing in mind, as I said, you lose a thousand every month. I hadn't even thought about And when that. you breastfeed, you're less likely to ovulate. Yeah. So there is some evidence that um, getting pregnant and breastfeeding will delay your menopause, but we are not talking by long, and we can't have can't just have children your whole life. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, forty pe- children. Maybe you people can. can. Um, <laughs> and they I've do. I've got three, and that's more yeah. than enough. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, Cara has said, "What is the likelihood of getting it early?" I think we gave some stats earlier on Cara, but so as I said, one in a hundred mm-hmm. under the age of forty, one in a thousand under the age of thirty, one in ten thousand under the age of twenty, but the important message here is this if your periods stop if they've started and you know they're regular and they're going and they stop for more than six months this is one of the potential reasons but there are others and you must go to the doctor and i'm sure yeah. that's come up you know orthorexia all kinds of things i come up. could also add under eating under nourishment does stop your periods it's one of the most common things we see yeah and the reason that your periods start actually is you have to hit enough body weight you have to have enough body fat yes for your periods to start yes. in in the first place and that's why puberty is starting earlier and earlier is that children because of the better nutrition children are hitting that weight earlier and earlier so if you go down below it you're going to lose your periods but six months is our cutoff come ask yes exactly um ellen has said how does the menopause affect your chance of becoming pregnant so if, if you're still trying whilst you're kind of hitting i guess she means so if you're going through the premature menopause as i said there is still a risk of pregnancy but that risk is very small though i though i do say that you have to have contraception if your periods have stopped for more than six months and your doctor has diagnosed you with the premature menopause then you can ask to be referred to your local fertility center um, for investigations and potentially treatment yes. when it gets past the age of 50 that chance of natural pregnancy is extremely low um, and 
most people on the NHS would not be eligible for um, fertility treatment after the age of 55 we say that you can stop using contraception your risk is so small yeah well that again so informative and we had one last question that you've been so comprehensive Philippa that I think we've pretty much covered again but Lauren wanted to just ask what are the key bodily changes that I'm going to experience what are the key kind of things to look for again so First of all, we need to think about it physical and psychological. Mm -hmm. So changes to your periods, as we described, changes, hot flushes, night sweats, palpitations, joint joint pains, headaches, low mood, anxiety, problems with sleep, (laughs) problems with sex drive. But that bit all sounds frightening. But remember, we can help you. We have lots and lots of treatments available, lots of lifestyle factors available. And if you need help, ask for it. Okay, well, that moves us on, Philippa, to our fact or fiction round. So if you could answer fact or fiction to the following. Smoking can encourage the menopause to come on earlier. Ting, that one is true about two years earlier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I need a bell. I need a bell. You need a bell. I should get a bell. (laughs) Um, The menopause only lasts one to two years. That one's fiction. So the menopause means the last period. You can have symptoms for many years before and many, many years afterwards. There you go. The average age for the menopause is 51. A star, correct, yes. Once a woman's period stops, she doesn't need to use contraception to prevent pregnancy. No, so under the age of 50 for two years after your last period, over the age of 50, for one year and you can stop at 55 but that doesn't mean that you have to stop you can stop using a condom you might not be able to get pregnant but you can still get chlamydia and gonorrhea so please use condoms be safe everyone the foods you eat can impact the severity and symptoms of your menopause so I think that the foods you eat can affect the severity of your symptoms, but I think that different people will experience their symptoms differently. But things, as we said, caffeine, alcohol, spicy foods can trigger hot flushes, definitely. And eating healthily and being a healthy weight means that you're less likely to experience symptoms. Excellent. Now, this is one that I wanted to chuck in. You will gain weight during the menopause. I like that. You will. No. (laughs) See, this is the thing. Fact or fiction? um, (laughs) Sort of somewhere in between, Mm. actually. So oestrogen affects where you lay down your fat. So oestrogen means that we put on our fat as women sort of around the hips and around the bust. And then after the menopause, you're more likely to lay down the fat where men lay it down, which is around the tummy. And it can't, so, you, so the distribution of your fat changes, so your shape changes, and then you, you, it can affect your metabolic rate. And the lo- loss of testosterone as well can affect your metabolic rate. So you can put on weight during the menopause. Add into that joint pains, feeling a bit rubbish, therefore not wanting to exercise, you're more likely to. And so women often say to me, oh, will HRT make me put on weight? And the answer is no, you're actually more likely to lose weight because you're going to do all those, because you're going to feel better. You're going to do all those good lifestyle things. There you go. The calcium in your bones during menopause can be affected. So I think this alludes, yes, in a way, because this alludes <laughs> to osteoporosis, mm-hmm. is that oestrogen has an effect on what's called the osteoclasts and osteoblasts in your bone, which lay down bone and sort of then regenerate bone. So break it down and then rebuild it back up. And we think of bones as these static 
dead things but actually they're alive um, and the oestrogen affects all of that process and so when we have less oestrogen the bones can become thinner now what we need to do about that is first of all we need to have a good bone density before we start and that's a good healthy diet vitamin d calcium lots of weight bearing exercise and then afterwards if you do um, hrt is not a treatment for osteoporosis but if you have it for another reason it will decrease your risk yes philippa <laughs> Every woman will experience hot flushes. So not every woman. Um, so that one's a fiction. Four mm-hmm. out of five women will have some symptoms. Many women will be affected by joint pain. True. And I think that they don't think that that's related to the menopause and they worry that they've got arthritis and they worry... Well, it's even related to blooming pregnancy, joint yeah. pain. I'm yeah. Like, we seem so to get it everywhere. Estrogen, relaxing, all kinds <laughs> <Yeah>. of hormones <laughs> right now um, for you. Um, not for me. <laughs> but no, so yes, joint pain and are things that we don't think about in the same way we don't think about headaches or palpitations being related to the menopause and they can be. There are treatments for the menopause. There are, of course there are. There are lots of them. They are safer than you think. Go and get yourself informed. Go talk to your doctor about the risks and the benefits for you. And then I just firmly believe that educated is empowered. You make your own choice about whether or not you feel the benefits are worth it. And for many, many women, they really are. Oh, what a wonderful fact or fiction round. (laughs) Um, That does nearly wrap up the episode, Philippa. But we always finish our podcasts with a food for thought. So... I'm going to change what I thought mine was going to be today (laughs) completely after the amazing information we've had. And mine would really be speak to the people who know what they're talking about, but don't be scared to ask for help because having Philippa sit with me today and to share this information has struck a chord with me. I I think um, I'm so grateful that we can discuss it on this podcast, but there's still a long way to go. And there's a lot of myths and a lot of taboos, just like in the nutrition industry. And I think you really have to try and pick a positive out of the negatives. I mean, we said at the end about the locusts coming forward (laughs) and taking the fight, but women are strong and we are all unique and you can experience this at any point in your life. So please, please, please just as I would say with nutrition, speak to somebody and don't be scared to ask for help. And not only that, yes, absolutely come forward and ask for help, but we have to speak to each other because otherwise the silence and the taboo around it is not going to change. So, of course, I have to say, by the M-word, everything you need to know about the, yes, <laughs> the menopause, yes. by me, Dr. Philippa Kay. But, but if you're 20, buy a copy for your mum. You know, yes. buy one for your sister. Give one to your husband or your partner Mm -hmm. or whoever else because actually we must break this silence. We must talk about it so that as women we can continue to live our healthiest, best, happiest lives. Oh, I feel so motivated (laughs) and inspired. Philippa, thank you for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get this podcast out there so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully be able to help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.